is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. on my training. So if you've missed previous episodes, I just started training with actually the podcast guest that I had last week, um, Steve Carmichael of the Run Buzz podcast, and I'm using his training program. It's interesting because it is completely opposite of everything that I've ever done. Um, I'm not signed up for a race. Um, I'm not signed up for a race. I have a couple of smaller races um, that I'm not really training for, just kind of running for fun and whatever in the next few weeks. But um, I'm using the half marathon training plan. So that'll extend for the next few months. Um, but I'm not signed up for a half marathon. I might sign up for one, kind of feeling things out. But again, this is completely the opposite of everything I've ever done before. So in the past, I had signed up for a really big race. And then got myself together and trained for it. And now I'm just training and just running. Um, and it's been great. Like it has just, it's been so much fun to run. I don't really look at my time. Um, I don't really care how fast I'm running. I'm really just noticing how my body is doing. The other thing that's been really interesting is that for a couple of weeks, my appetite had been really low. And I was like, this is so weird. Like, I am exercising more. My appetite should be higher, right? So if we think about calories, and I don't think calories are a bad thing, but we really think about like calories are units of energy. If we're exercising more, we're using up more more calories. We're using up more energy. So it just was weird that I wasn't hungrier. And then it hit yesterday. I was so hungry all day long. It just felt like no matter what I ate, I could not fill this hunger. So I was like, I was drinking tons of water, um, eating lots of vegetables, protein, um, trying to fill that up. I know, like I know that eating a million donuts is not going to fill me up. It's going to make me feel like crap, but I did have, I did have a donut yesterday and it was delicious. Um, but it was that just kind of noticing how things are. And it was just really peculiar why for so long it, you know, that, that there wasn't that hunger. And then yesterday it hit. Um, I think that's an important thing is to be curious about what's going on with our body and not combative. And we're actually going to talk about this perfect timing with today's episode, but like, there was no like, Oh my gosh, I'm disgusting. Like, why do I keep eating? There was this yeah, like you burn a crap ton of calories, you know, with all of this running. Um, and now your body's saying, hey, we need more energy. We need more fuel. We need more calories. We need more food, right? And so there was no disgust, like what's wrong with me? It was just a, oh yeah, let me do kind things for my body. So completely different than how I kind of approached food in the past as well. Um, I used to love oh gosh, my relationship with exercise and food, which maybe some of you can relate. I don't know. Maybe that's why you're here. But I think in the past, when I was first started running was also when I first started heavily dieting and clean eating. And then during running season, I kind of let myself eat anything and everything. And that would often turn into times of me overeating um, because I was like, well, I'm not working on a weight loss goal. I can eat whatever I want, which is true. Also, like we can literally eat whatever we want anytime, but there were these periods of binging because there were periods of restriction before I started marathon training. And now it was like the first time I was allowing myself to eat. Um, I was eating everything in sight, not really understanding what was happening with my body, not kind of approaching things objectively, but just like, 
oh, I get to eat this because I ran a million miles instead of, oh, I'm eating this because my body <laughs> needs this. So completely different relationship with food nowadays, completely different approach to how I use food and my relationship with food. Um, food's not just a tool, but it is something um, that you have a relationship with and understanding those things. So today's episode is going to get a little bit more into that. I also want to give you the heads up because you are listeners on this podcast and you probably relate to some sort of thing with food and disordered eating. Um, I never had a full-blown eating disorder, but disordered eating tendencies. I think a lot of us, a lot of women can relate to that um, with periods of yo-yo dieting, with the big, you know, like how big clean eating is and clean eating challenges and keto, Whole30, Brightline Eating, 21 Day Fix, you know, all of these things that kind of like demonize certain groups of food. And then we might find ourselves eating these very same foods that we demonize. So my ever popular nighttime, uh, ending nighttime eating course is going to be launching in a few weeks. I'm just kind of editing some things, making it the best version that it has ever been. Um, if you want more information, I'm going to post a link in the show notes, make sure to get yourself on the wait list so that you get first dibs on, um, that course when it opens, there will be some discounts for people um, before I open it up to the general public. So as a listener of this podcast, uh, you can take advantage of that discount. Um, so I'm really excited. It's going to be a lot different than I have done in the past. In the past, it had always been um, just kind of one, uh, there wasn't a lot of interaction between me and participants. So this time, um, it's actually going to include live coaching calls. So if you do the material. So you'll do the material, um, kind of like a flipped classroom. You'll watch the videos, learn what you need to, and then apply them in real life. And then when you mess up, because we don't get to skip over the part of messing up, messing up, messing up is a part of learning. So this isn't like a, Oh, restrict, you know, don't nighttime eat nighttime eat for four weeks. This is like, Hey, nighttime eat and see what's going on with your body. See what's happening. Why are these things happening? So this is not a period of restriction. This is not a period of like, be perfect for 30 days. Cause we know what will happen. That's not helpful. That's not conducive to building and repairing our relationship with food. So, um, yeah, the leg coaching is really where we're going to get into the nitty gritty and like figure out what the heck is actually happening with ourselves and work from there. Um, again, restricting a binge does not help us end binge eating. Um, understanding what's going on with food in our body helps. So I will put the link to that in the show notes. And today's episode, I mean, it just it just timed, timing was perfect with this. I speak with Lauren Graham, the, the golden Graham girl. You're going to love her. Lauren, um, is an online coach, a personal trainer. She struggled with an eating disorder when she was young. And we'll get into that. Um, you'll learn a little bit more about her relationship with food, with the scale, with swimming, with over-exercising, under-eating um, when she was really young. And I think that like when we think about, you know, who were we when we were 12 years old and thinking about a relationship with food and are the things that we're doing right now things that we want a 12 year old to do with food are the way that we talk about ourselves. You know, is that what we would want for a 12 year old or a 12 year old, you know, the 12 year old version of us kind of looking back at those things. Um, when we picture it like that, we tend to be a little bit kinder to ourselves when we see that that 12 year old is still in us. So I love today's conversation. Um, I also love hearing about Lauren's journey with food from 
um, you know, the crazy diets that we used to do, um, calorie tracking, macro tracking, um, clean eating, whole 30, just different things, different components. And then kind of where she is at with food right now and what she does, um, you know, deciding to build a better relationship with food doesn't mean that we like are eating 12 donuts every day. Like that doesn't feel good, but understanding where we are, where we want to be, and then doing those kind things for ourselves in a way that helps our health. Um, I love hearing Lauren's journey and I will put the links to all of Lauren's social media. Um, if you want to reach out to her, if you see something in her that you think can help you move along with whatever you are working on, definitely check her out. All right, let's get started on today's episode. Today on the podcast, I have Lauren Graham. How are you doing today? I'm doing really awesome. How are you, Jacqueline? Thanks for I'm, having me on. Yeah, I'm so excited to connect with you. Um, I just, I love the community that we're in. So we have the same business coach and I've just met the most amazing women through this coaching experience. Really cool to connect with people on the internet. So it is. And I, I hope it's cool that we mention her name if we want to give her some love. Yeah. Yeah, Jill. <laughs> She's back. Yeah, it's, cool. it's really interesting. I think it'll actually, as we get into the conversation, we'll see ways in which her approach, I think, has informed our approach, like both of us. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's been a really fun thing, too. Like the just seeing how someone else does stuff, you're like, oh, I'm allowed to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. Cool. So I always like to start with finding out more about you and your journey with health um, and fitness and even diets. Like that's been a big thing that, um, has come up in talking with women is like your journey with health. And it starts with the diet usually. So what did this look like for you maybe in your early childhood or teenage years? Yeah, I think that's probably true. And you know, it's like, even right now people sort of around the quote or the meme, like abs are made in the kitchen or it's 80% nutrition. So I think it's fair to say that that was true even from a really early age that I can remember super vividly, and I'm happy to share this with your followers, I've shared it with my followers. When I was 10 years old, I can remember going for a doctor's checkup, and I can remember getting on the scale when I was 10 years old as part of the checkup and seeing 90 pounds. And in my head, at 10 years old, I was like, that's too much. And I don't even know where that came from. I don't recall my doctor making any comments, I don't recall my mother making any comments, but in my head, that number was too big uh, at 10 years old. So I was like, gosh, I should go on a diet. And like, I don't even know where the idea of coming or going on a diet came from. I mean, it probably from my mother, just subconsciously. So that was pretty interesting because at 10 years old, like what does going on a diet means? And for me, it just meant like just trying to not eat, which of course we all know how that one goes. You last for however long not eating and then you just eat all the things. Yeah, that's really interesting um, what you said about the number, like the number 90. Like, it, I don't even know what a, a typical weight is for someone in that age range, but it's just like we get fixated on this number. And we're like, oh, that's too much. And I think sometimes people do that with food or calories too. Like, this number is too big. But it's like, yeah. we're, how? How do we even decide? So what did – so you started dieting, I guess, when you were 10. What, what did that look like and how did that continue on? Well, I would say that it didn't for a little bit because I don't remember consistently getting on the scale at 10 years old. I don't remember seeing if what I was doing actually even had any effects, which is funny because you can see that pattern repeated uh, with adults as well, where sometimes it's just, I don't even want to know, or I don't want to see if this is or isn't working. 
And I mean, at 10 years old, I wouldn't want for myself or anyone else to be getting on this scale. But I think what really stepped it up another notch beyond just dieting was that my parents got divorced when I was, gosh, I think just shy of 12 or 12. And at that point, all of a sudden, food morphed into this other thing. Food became something that I could control. And it was the one thing when you're 12 years old, you don't have a lot of control over your life. Uh, the one thing I could control was my food, what went into my mouth. And that's when I started getting on the scale regularly. And at that point, I was on a competitive swim team. I'd always loved swimming. So for me, being on the swim team was not about managing my weight. It was I loved to swim. It was like I was the kid when we went on vacation. It was like, does the hotel have a pool? Are we going somewhere with a pool? Because that's all I wanted to do. So I loved it. And it was this love of swimming. Uh, but then I added in the controlling food and getting on the scale and just having the power over the number. And I didn't even have like an end point in mind. It wasn't like, oh, once I get to number X, I'll be happy. It was just, I have control over something. It's really satisfying. And I don't know when the end would have been. So at that point, you know, it was two years later, I'm 12 years old. I mean, I'm five foot five now. At 12 years old, I was five foot four. And the number was again, close to 90 pounds. So it was, and I, I really don't know how far I would have gone were it not for outside intervention. Um, so what did that look like? How, bring us up to speed. How did that look? So that was, uh, thankfully at the time, my swim coach was actually a woman who had gone through a period of disordered eating herself. And of course she sees me in a swimsuit almost every day. So she's noticing my body changing and shrinking. And she's noticing that fitness wise, I can't perform the way I used to in the pool. And so she's the one who alerted my parents. And it was kind of like, whoa, like this is not this is not a good thing. This isn't just like teenager body change. And of course, my parents at that time, um, going through the divorce, I think uh, were kind of tied up in their own stuff, but at least they were able to come clear of that and get me into the doctor. And really, it was learn you can't swim anymore. Like you are not eating enough to support your body, to support the sport. And honestly, my love for swimming was so strong yeah. that I was like, okay, fine. I was like, what weight that's appropriate for my height and my age do I need to be to be able to swim? And I just committed myself to that. And I shared with you, I think, in our little pre-talk for the interview that at that time, it was the early 1990s and like low fat was all the rage. And so I ended up saying to myself, well, okay, fine. If it's low fat, I'll eat it. And I'll eat as much as I want until I get up to this weight that I need to be to be on the swim team. So if it was like dry pasta, totally eat like giant bowl full of it. Or if it was like low fat breakfast cereal, great. I'd have like a mixing bowl filled of low fat cereal with skim milk. And so just eat, neat, 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 and get up to the weight and like, okay, everybody's happy. I weigh enough, I can swim again. But that really set me down a path for the rest of my teenage years of sort of this idea of only eating these low fat foods and totally steering clear of anything with fat in it. And it, it, it's crazy because it, like I've heard this from so many women. And I remember it too. Like, okay, let me check and see. Like I would buy Cool Whip. Like, oh, let me get the fat-free Cool Whip because that's somehow healthier than the other Cool Whip. But it was like this fixation on how many grams of fat. Yeah. Yeah. I think I tried to limit myself to no more than 10 grams of fat per day. Oh my gosh. So we're talking like a large spoonful of peanut butter, uh, the equivalent. <laughs> yeah. And so, of course, I never felt full. And I mean, of course, like with the, the amount of swimming I was doing in the age of my life, it was like just these endless calories of carbs. And so knowing what we know now about balanced nutrition, like it didn't work out for me when I stopped swimming full time. And I was like, okay, what do I do now? 
And that was actually when I got into running. It was interesting. We can maybe have a separate conversation about running. I'd love to encourage, I know you have a lot of your followers uh, who run. And I think that's fantastic. It's a, a wonderful way to move your body and get outside. I think it's one of the most, I don't know, primordial. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's one of the most traditional ways for humans to move. I think we're just designed to walk and to run. Mm -hmm. So you, so left swimming, got into running. What did nutrition look like then? Oh gosh, let's see. That would have been in my early 20s. And so this is now me on my own. So this is me out of university. This is me moving to a new city. And so that new city was Calgary, Alberta. If anyone's been there, there's a beautiful network of paved running trails and it just seems like everybody runs. And so I decided to run. And I think the nutrition was a little bit more balanced at that point. I wasn't counting calories, but there was still a little bit of this, like I need to eat clean things. And if I'm not eating clean things, like if I'm having one cookie, well, I've screwed it up, you know, the classic all or nothing mentality. So I might as well eat like six cookies now, get it over with, and then tomorrow I'll go back to clean eating. And I see you nodding your head. It's like you just, you hear it and you see it over and over. And uh, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, so you're running and then the clean eating and then the binging that comes with that, the restricting and the binging, which we don't even realize like in the moment. And I think a lot of us too, we don't realize how common this is until you hear other women talk about it, like the low fat, the cleaning, uh, the clean eating, and then the restricting and binging. Like this is so common. And the more that we talk about it, we realize it was not just me. Like this is something that we've all struggled with because we've all been told these different messages about food. Yeah. And that like this whole idea of like what even a clean food is, it's not like we come out of the womb with this list ingrained in our head. This is clean. This is bad. Or this is junk. Like we don't know what macronutrients are. So it's so incredible how much we absorb just from people around us. Sometimes well-meaning people, sometimes it can be health professionals Sometimes it can be our parents. I mean, my mom really wanted to do well by us and she's reading all the studies at the time or government guidelines that are talking about reducing fat, you know, saying, you know, serve skim milk or use margarine and not butter and that kind of stuff. And you just, you hear all these TV ads and commercials. Um, and then conversely on the flip side, the idea that certain foods are a treat, that food is a way to treat yourself or that, you know, it'll say indulge or like, guilt-free pleasures and it's kind of like well that suggests the opposite is that I should feel guilty mm -hmm. so how did you start so okay I, I do want to touch on this as well so so you're you're in running the the low fat and the clean eating and then you were someone um that did whole 30 as well can you tell us more about that your experience with whole 30 oh gosh let's see so to try to bridge the gap between the running and all the cleaning so there was this period of time where i don't know if you have experienced it or people are where you things just click like things just seem to work like one part of your life is working well and it becomes a positive feedback loop and everything is working well so i was living in my new city for a couple of years i had started dating a great guy who's now my husband Yay. and um yeah the job was going well the fitness was going well i'm enjoying spending time with him and all of a sudden I'm not obsessing about food and partly because I'm no longer using food to fill kind of gaps in those other parts of my life because they're all going well. And this isn't anything I knew consciously at the time. This is me reflecting on it where times in my life that I have used food more, I realized I've been using it as a stopgap to try to fill in the other parts of my life that weren't working well. 
So that was actually going really well. He and I were going to the gym together. So we just had a good routine with that and not paying that much attention to food. And I loved it. And then um, our son came along. So he was born in 2011. And I got back into swimming after I had my son. And then you sort of start thinking like, okay, I'm getting into my 30s now. And what can I do? And you start seeing people on social media and they're talking about macros. So this is when macros became really popular. And I thought, well, maybe I should try that. So I tried tracking macros for a bit, but I think what's common for people sometimes when they get into it, they get too into it. Um, you're just, you can't read enough and you feel like you have to hit those targets perfectly. And it becomes just yet another form of being attached to, to clean eating. And so I thought, gosh, you know, I'm just sick of this. And now I'm hearing all about this whole 30 that says, forget about counting food, forget about calories, just eat these things uh, and the weight will fall right off. So that's what was really appealing about Whole30 was I thought, great, this is finally going to be the silver bullet. I can just eat this narrow range of foods and it'll work. Um, but of course it doesn't because there's still energy balance. So there is something to be said for quality of calories in terms of how you feel. And I would say that, you know, certain foods that you eat are actually going to cause you to burn more calories because it takes more work for your body to digest them. But again, it's just one of those, another approach to eating that you can take too far. Mm -hmm. So what did, yeah, the, and especially when you said the narrow list, I think that that can be really appealing of if your goal is weight loss. Okay. I just have to eat from here. I don't have to track anything. I don't have to count anything. Um, that's fun. That's great. But then, like you said, it's that narrow list. So what, um, what happened with whole 30 and was there like obsessive thoughts with that? Well, that was interesting because in some ways they actually promote it as a benefit of that approach where it's like, you, it takes away the decision-making power from you because it's like, this is just my list. I don't even need to devote any mental energy to it. These are the things I will eat. These are the things I won't. Um, for me though, it was just another form of restriction. So it was like, well, if my variety is going to be so restricted, then I'm not going to restrict my quantity. I was like, I'm going to eat as much coconut as is possible and as many avocados as is possible because it's on the list. So surely it'll be fine. Um, and they, they even talk about in the program, not weighing yourself. So I did take things away from it in terms of like certain foods, maybe that I didn't know I would react to. So I did do carefully the reintroduction protocol and found out there's certain foods that when you take them away for a long period of time, yeah, when you put them back in, you can be a little sensitive to them. Although I guess the counter argument to that is that it really depends on what you've done to your gut flora. It's all those little wonderful, helpful bacteria in your gut that help you to digest certain foods. If you don't have those foods for say a month or six weeks, you're not going to have as many of those bacteria. So now I'm getting all sciencey, but this is the stuff I love to talk about. No. And I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because that is so true in that like you took it out and now your body has having this reaction. But like you said, like it's, Part of it is because it hasn't been in your system for that long. Now, some foods you can totally choose. You can be aware of the fact and say, you know what? Like for me, I'm going to mindfully choose that I don't necessarily want to have this food ever, or I just don't want to have it all that often. Or when I do have it, I'm going to accept the fact that I don't feel great. And that really puts you back in your power around food. So what I found around that was like, gosh, you know, the weight didn't just magically drop off for me. And it's funny because that's true of other people too, and that they end up still, even on that narrow range of foods, eating more calories than what they need. So that kind of gave me like this really broad spectrum of having done the super low fat eating, of having done the clean eating, of having done the macros, of having done the whole 30. And I was like, you know what? I think the macros is gonna help give me a sense 
of my energy balance. And I got into this habit of like each week was an experiment. I was like, well, let me try this this week and see what happens, you know, and what does or doesn't happen. How do I feel? And then as soon as it became just one week at a time and knowing I had the ability to change it whenever I wanted, that I think was what was the gateway to freedom for me. Mm -hmm. So uh, can you tell us more about that? Like what you were trying each week um, that felt like it worked for you? Oh, sure. So some weeks it might be a certain number of calories. Mm -hmm. um, other weeks it would be a certain ratio of macros. So some weeks saying, you know what? I'm going to try this, this sort of high fat approach that's so trendy right now, you know, low carb, high fat. How does that make me feel? Um, do I all of a sudden feel like I need to eat an entire loaf of bread in one setting? In which case, so tell me maybe it's not the best approach. And then let's say I did eat and I don't know, I can't think of that being a good example, but let's say that it does lead to me having say four bowls of cereal. So instead of being disgusted with myself, you just get curious. Like I think Jim talk, Jill talks about where she's like, hmm, it's like, okay. <laughs> If I did have four bowls of cereal, why? What was my eating like leading up to that? You know, so does that show me that's a good approach for me or not? Because sometimes I think when people have an episode where they eat whatever it is, insert trigger food here, um, to excess, it just becomes, well, I got to stick to the same approach and do it even harder. And then the next time you're overdoing it on the same food, but even more so. Where it's like, okay, what about that approach led to me wanting to have that much of that food? And how can I get more of it in? Yeah, I don't know how many emails I get from people that are like, you know, I did a whole 30 and then I decided I had to do a whole 60 because I binged on the carbs after the whole 30. So if I just make it through a whole 60, then I won't crave carbs anymore. But what we know is exactly that you're going to eat a whole loaf of bread or, you know, and 12 bowls of cereal, like food that you don't even like, like who eats, right? Like 12 bowls of cereal. Like there's never been a time that I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like great. But those definitely things that we do after restricting carbs for so long. So I think um, that's an example, actually, sort of to cut you off, where just we talk about how would I change my approach. So if there was one week where I found myself like, you know, my big thing is nut butter. So, you know, have the jar with the spoon, like just bypassing. I mean, I'm lucky if I have a spoon, it's not just my finger going into the jar. Uh, thank goodness I have my own jars in my household. But it's kind of like, okay, you know, if I'm really feeling drawn to nut butter, what am I going to do next week so that I'm getting at least one or two spoonfuls every single day? So at the end of the week, it's like I've had like 14 spoonfuls. I'm, I'm not in the mood to sit down and have 14 spoonfuls in one sitting. So those are the types of little tweaks I would do. Instead of being like, no, I should just not have that food in my house. I was like, how dare I give food, like an inanimate object, that much power over me? It was like, what do I do to take away its power? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And so then if you like nut butter, right. And so you're having the 14 spoonfuls, but I, there's never like a situation where I've had like that as well. Like, um, sorry, this is getting rambly, but, uh, pizza was like, I like having pizza, but when I eat a whole entire pizza, I feel disgusting, but it was like, okay, let's practice having pizza in small amounts, just like the nut butter. Okay. Now we're actually enjoying this off limits food, this like, you know, taboo food. That's not at all. Once we practice having it, I love that approach. Yeah. And I think it really, it applies to anything now. I mean, I admit that it does take some working up to you and I are talking about it like it's easy, but it, it really does take practice. Um, and I love the language that you use around it. I mean, you shared the example of if you say to yourself, Oh no, I'm just not going to eat cookies because when I eat cookies, I eat the whole box. 
Well, when you say that, whether you say it out loud or you just say it in your mind, you're priming your subconscious. You're basically saying, this is what happens when there's a box of cookies. I eat it all. So you get in front of the cookies and you're sort of on autopilot because you're stressed out or you're just mindlessly watching TV. And your subconscious is like, hmm, box of cookies. What did Lauren tell me about cookies? Oh, right. She said that when there's cookies, she eats the whole box. So let's, let's do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're setting up that expectation and then that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. It's so crazy. I, I love that too. Just that, that mindfulness piece, like slowing down. And I think what you said too about the, just being inquisitive and just slowing down and like kind of breaking apart the situation of like what happened instead of going immediately to like a punishment for ourselves, which is yeah, it's, we're so used. like getting curious. Why did, why did I do that? And I think that's probably my favorite part of coaching and of behavior change. It's not about telling people what macros to eat. It's not about telling people about what foods it's about the stories they're telling themselves. It's about the narrative they craft. And the same thing goes for workouts. Um, oh, did I lose you? Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, can you tell me a little bit more about that, the, the storytelling and um, kind of like what that looks like when you are working with clients? Like how are you helping them adjust those stories in their heads? Sure. And we're, we're going to do a walk while I do this. Cause I think if it did cut out, it's probably a sign of my battery's going. So we're going to get somewhere I can plug in. <laughs> cool. You're good. So yeah, I would say in terms of, um, ooh, hi, um, story change. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, I just, and they've probably come to you too. And so well, I just can't have sugar because every time I have sugar, I overdo it. I was like, okay, well that's, that's a story. That's a narrative about what's happened in your life so far. Um, is that story serving you? Like, how does that help you? Mm. And so we start changing those things. Or people say, gosh, you know, I have a really hard time losing weight. It's like, well, is that story helpful? Or, you know, would it be more helpful to say, hey, in the past, I've had a hard time losing weight. Um, I'm open to a new approach that feels easier. Or in the past, I've had a hard time moderating my sugar intake. But today is a new day. And now I have a new approach. I love that. I think the language you use, is this story serving you? Is this helping you? If it's not serving you, and I think those, that's such a key word, serving you, um, that that's where we have to like break it down and like change it. I love that so much. Yeah. And I think I even shared with you before I came on here, it's like we've just absorbed so much in terms of the content. I said, you know, I talked about this idea, where do we get the sense of what is a lot of weight? What is a lot of calories? What's a clean food? What's a dirty food? And it's just all these messages that come from media. And there's so many forms of media now. I mean, when I was a kid, it was radio and TV, like that was it. And now it's, it's everywhere. It's a part of our lives. And it's like, you realize that you think these things that you believe that are true have all just been fed to you. So it's, it's stepping back and saying, Hey, like, is this actually true? Do I want it to be true in my life? And you know, if it is going to be true in my life, is it actually helping me get to where I want to be? Mm -hmm. I like that. And I think too, just like what you touched on, like there's all of these different uh, messages that are being marketed to us. And when we realize that we're like, well, wait, hmm, why would someone be doing this? Oh, are they trying to sell me a certain product? And if I have this message in my head, we were talking about the, um, the guilt-free foods or the like indulgent or whatever, right? Like, cool. Why would they be using that mark, those messages and like the getting curious about it? Um, 
I think too, just like you said, like it puts you back in power and not the the food. And it is interesting though, because it, it, it is, it's this leveling up. It's, and again, that, that's a, that's a term I'm going to take from Jill Coleman. So a shout out to her for that. But the idea that if you just follow a meal plan, um, I mean, the chances of you following a meal plan for even one week perfectly, I think are fairly low. And then it becomes, do you even want to follow a meal plan for one week or for six weeks or for eight weeks or for 12 weeks? Or like, you know, with your imperfect eating for life, do you want to figure out what foods and what amounts work for you for the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. Two, yeah, definitely two different ideas going there. Yeah. So it is, I mean, it's, it's sometimes nice to have a template when you're first learning about like what foods are potentially uh, candidates for making you feel better when you're new to that. So it's kind of like the level 1.0, you know, the training wheels. I was saying, okay, you know, now that I've started testing out these foods and expanding my palate, my repertoire for cooking, and now I can start to get clinical about like, what do I actually like? How does this food actually make me feel? Uh, What foods are even important to me, like from a cultural perspective, from preserving my family history perspective? I'm so glad you said that because that was another thing too. Like when you're doing paleo or clean eating or Whole30, it's like, cool all of like our cultures all of our backgrounds all of like the food that has significance like how does that fit in like am I only allowed to have lasagna on Thanksgiving because it's a holiday like I can never have like my family's you know like traditional foods like when am I ever allowed to have those and then going back to as well cool if I have it on Thanksgiving that's the only time that I have it chances are I'm gonna overeat because I don't even know how to have this food in my life so that cult, the cultural significance is huge. Well, it's interesting too, because I think there's certainly advocates for some of those approaches to eating who would say, well, you shouldn't attach any emotional or cultural significance to food. Like food is just fuel for your body. And I guess maybe that serves some people well and for others it doesn't. So that's kind of an important thing to test out. It was like, is you know preserving foods that represent your ethnic heritage and not trying to make them paleo friendly or keto friendly or clean eating friendly um you know just having the traditional version how does that fit in and like you say if you only do it once a year and you don't have any practice eating it how in the world are you going to eat it moderately if you don't practice eating it moderately yeah yeah that's perfect (laughs) i love that so one thing you touched on that i want to kind of um dive in a little bit more about, you talked about the words, um, energy balance. And so for someone who does not know what that means, can you talk a little bit more? What is energy balance and what does that look like in life and with food? Oh, sure. So, I mean, in terms of energy balance, and it's again, another one of those trendy terms being thrown around right now, just the idea that our bodies expend energy each day to get through the day, whether we exercise or not, like just keeping ourselves alive, keeping our cells dividing, keeping us breathing, digesting food, you know, getting up out of bed, that takes a certain amount of energy. And the energy generally comes from the food that we eat. And so most commonly, most people will have heard of calories, which is kind of interesting because a calorie has to do with like the amount of heat put off by a food to heat up one milliliter of water by one degree Celsius, which seems like the most random calculation ever for energy measuring energy in our bodies but that's a super technical one and so i know some people will talk about you just need to make sure that your calories in are less than your calories out and you will lose weight and i mean at its essence that's true 
the harder part becomes how do you actually measure calories in and how do you actually measure calories out? Yeah. <laughs> I have people all the time that ask me, cause sometimes I'll show like, Oh, my Fitbit, but I'm like, I don't worry about the calories or on my Apple watch. Like I'm looking like, I just want to make sure I have 10,000 steps. And they're like, Oh, well, how do I measure how many calories have gone out? And I'm like, good luck. Like <laughs> even how do you even measure how many calories go in? Because even if you have a food scale and you are weighing things to the, you know, the nearest 10th of a gram, it doesn't necessarily tell you about the degree of ripeness. Let's say if it's a piece of fruit, mm -hmm. because an overripe banana has a different nutrition profile than a green banana. Um, because in the overripe banana, everyone knows it tastes sweeter. And that's because more of the carbohydrates in the banana have already naturally through its ripening process turned into to simple sugars. Mm -hmm. And so even if you weigh a green banana and you weigh a ripe banana, you know, like the calorie count will be different. And how quickly your body can access those calories, whether it can access them at all, will be different. So like super technical stuff and people, oh gosh, like what's the point? I'm just going to throw out my hands and say, forget it. And sometimes that's fine. Sometimes forgetting about calorie counting is fine, especially like you say on the outside. Because even if you could trust the workout meter that measured how many calories you burned in your workout, which is probably not accurate anyway, how do you measure all the calories that you burned over the course of the day? you know, when you were getting groceries or when you were picking up your kids from school or when you were sitting at your desk typing. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's starting to tap into those hunger and fullness signals. So that, that was something actually that I think the macro tracking helped with realizing that even if I'm tracking things, tracking, um, it's, it's a rough approximation of what I'm eating, but to just say, hey, this week at work was really demanding. I was using my brain a lot. And guess what? Using your brain, thinking about new things takes more energy than carrying out tasks that you already know. I'm like, gosh, you know, I ate kind of roughly the same foods in the same amounts this week, but I feel way hungrier. Well, guess what? That's a sign that you've got more calories going out. Your body's appetite. Yeah, you bring a really fun uh, scientific technical approach to this and just kind of like uncovering it. So it's like, you know, we can have these measurements, but also we have to be okay that it, it's not going to be exactly perfect. And Gosh, no. I mean, unless you want to live in a calorimetry lab and no, and it's funny. I'm, I'm just a huge nerd. I'm actually excited to get out to, you know, uh, the followers of your podcast and then my followers as well about what a huge nerd I am. I mean, I'm a numbers nerd. My other job outside of personal training and online coaching and nutrition coaching is as a certified public accountant. So like, I love the numbers. I love all the math and I'm a huge word nerd. So grammar nerd too, which is why I'm really precise about the language about changing the stories and really into the psychology of what happens when we tell ourselves things. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. So I want to switch gears a little bit um, away from nutrition and just kind of talk more about fitness and maybe just a little bit more about your journey. So you were into swimming and then you got into running. Um, did running last? Like, are you still a runner or what are you up to these days? That, that's a funny question. It's like, once you're a runner, do you ever become not a, a runner. <laughs> I think that's an issue. And so the, the swimming actually is something I do. I was in the pool this morning. Nice. So swimming definitely first love. Like I said, it was something I just loved as a kid and then just had sort of this boundless energy. And my parents were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with her? Like I was getting to be a nuisance. And I think it was just because I was bored. Like I needed an outlet. 
And so my parents found the local swim club and I just fell in love with it. And so the swimming happened, but my mother was also an aerobics instructor. So I feel like I just, I have, so hopefully I've still got the call. Somebody just yeah. called me. I probably should have done a do not disturb. Um, so yeah, I did the, the fitness and then being on the swim team, we started getting into the weight room as I got into more competitive swimming, sort of later teens. So then I'm in the weight room and you know, you're a teenager and then you're there with a coach. So you're like, you're cool. You feel like you belong there. Um, going to fitness classes because my mom taught, you know, I'd go with her as a teenager. So it was just totally natural and normal. And for me, it was just, you know, I was an athlete. My body did stuff. I asked it to do things and it did. And I sort of took that for granted. I think when you're a kid, you just kind of think that everyone else's experience is like yours. Mm -hmm. And you're so surprised the first time you go to someone else's house and you realize they eat like a different brand of cereal or a different brand of bread. <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, there's, there's a different way. I can't believe it. Mm -hmm. uh, or I met my husband and he kept jam in the cupboard, whereas we keep jam in the fridge. So, you know, little things like that. Um, and so I realized as I got into my 20s, and, you know, sometimes for some people, that was the first time where they started paying attention, like getting through puberty and all of a sudden their body's changing and they realize they want to change it. And they're going to the gym for the first time and maybe lacking confidence. And I was like, gosh, you know, that's not something I relate to personally, because I, I show up for pretty much any activity with the sense of I have a history or a narrative or a story that, mm -hmm. my tell, that I tell myself that says, hey, my body does the physical things I ask of it. And I've tried enough new activities to be cool with the fact that the first time I try something, I might not be great, but I also have enough history and confidence, sort of that confidence, confidence loop yeah. that says, if I try this, I'm going to get better at it. And I realized that that was something that I wanted to teach to other people as well. I like that a lot. And I think that's so helpful. And, and for me, running, I was not involved in sports, but for, for me, running was the first time that I got into something, but exactly what you said that like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get better. Like it was the first time that I had told myself that about, um, something physical and then it's fun. It's fun to practice it. Cause it like, you're an adult and it literally doesn't matter. Like no one cares. <laughs> no one cares about your accomplishments, but it's just this, like this self-confidence that you have for yourself. And I love that about running because it is, it's very much like an adult sport, you know, minimal equipment investments, no specialized training facility required. And you go out to your first race and you look around and you see people of all ages, all shapes, all sizes. And you're right. Like, it's kind of like the points don't matter. It's like that TV show, Whose Line, I'm probably one of the only people left who's no, still I know watching about, yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whose Line is anywhere? Like, the points don't matter. And that was so different from the hyper-competitive environment I had sort of on a, a teenage uh, swim team and the other sports I did. I mean, I played softball in the summer. I did kayaking. Mm -hmm. I just, I did a lot of stuff. And so, yeah, to get into running, it was awesome. And yeah, anytime you're new to a sport, that's awesome. I kind of wish I could be new to a sport. I think I'm going to take up a new sport just so I can be new to it. Because when you're new at something, uh, your ability to progress is faster. So kudos to all your followers who are new runners. I'm so excited for them because, you know, that's, that's the time to see the really big improvements. Yeah, that's so true. That's, I think, like, each time I ran a marathon, it was, like, I improved by, like, 40 minutes. Like, something absurd like that. Because when you're new, like, it's, you get those big jumps. And it's, it's exciting. And it's rewarding. And it's fun. 
Um, and it applies in the gym too, which is great. You know, the first time you go and you're like, okay, where's like the lightest weight and, or, you know, I'm just going to do body weight and yeah, I mean, start there and no shame in that because again, we didn't come out of the womb lifting weights and your body's ability to adapt is so quick. Yeah. So does fitness, um, for you these days, so it's swimming, um, and a lot of, you're in the gym a lot. I love seeing your posts. So strong. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'm trying to think how I, I just, yeah. So I think with the lifting weights, I realized in terms of like aesthetically, mm-hmm. I liked what it did for my body. It used to always be secondary to performance because it was always whatever I was doing in the gym had to have a tangible benefit for what I was doing in the pool. So that was interesting that when I got into my twenties and thirties and I went through a bit of an identity crisis where I thought, oh my gosh, is it vain of me? to want to train for the sake of aesthetics and not for performance. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, it's kind of a switching gears to, to do that and to recognize that some of the things I did for, you know, the body type I was aspiring to sort of lean and muscular actually didn't help me in the pool. Um, swimmers need a certain amount of buoyancy to be good swimmers. So to get lean, you know, it doesn't help you in the pool. So that was an interesting trade-off to explore, but I kind of took it the same as the nutrition. I was like, okay, I'm going to commit to a program for X number of weeks and I'm going to see what happens. And if I like it, great. Or if I decide, Hey, I'd rather prioritize my swimming performance than great. Like nothing is permanent. Like even taking two months off is not permanent. I like that approach. And I think, I think it's so important too, like what you said about like the aesthetics, like it's okay. Sometimes people get like so hung up about like, oh no, I can't like, I can't do this. You know, oh, am I being vain? But it's like, no, it's okay. Also like it's, you know, you just don't want it to become super obsessive where like everything is taking over your life and you can't do anything fun, but like it's okay to train or eat in a certain way for aesthetics. Totally fine. Oh yeah. I'm doing it a lot now, I think. And it's not even for me necessarily. Now that I have, you know, people that I'm working with, I thought, you know what, I should know more about how certain eating approaches work or how they feel uh, just for the sake of being a more knowledgeable resource for my clients. Mm-hmm. One on the terms of empathy um, or, and recognizing it might be a different experience for them, but to at least try it mm-hmm. and, and to see how it goes. Now, I mean, if you're not in a position where you're going to eat in a certain way just to see how it goes for somebody else, but it does make me think of that uh, documentary where a guy said, I'm just going to eat McDonald's for 30 days. And every time they ask if I want to supersize, I'm going to say yes. You know, he was, he was mindfully doing that and accepting that he might have declined health markers as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that? Supersizing. Yeah. That was yeah. a, yeah, that was a big, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Lauren, it was so great connecting with you. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about your online coaching business, what you do with clients and just where people can find you if they want to hear more about working with you? Sure. Uh, so I come in at the Golden Graham Girl and I do sometimes get asked about the name. Uh, so my last name is Graham. So that's part of where the Graham came from. And talking about all those low fat bowls of cereal, well, Golden Grahams was probably one of them, you know, sweet, sugary, low fat cereal. So maybe not something that I would consume all that often now. Um, But that's part of it. But even just the idea that um, I really support women coming into their power. And to me, the fact that there was a phrase that was, oh, he's a golden boy, Mm -hmm. like to talk kind of about, you know, kind of a young man who was doing really well in life. 
And I thought, well, you know, why can't there be a golden girl? And I don't mean like golden girls, like, you know, senior citizens having <laughs> time, uh, but more just the play on the words of a golden boy. I thought there should be a golden girl. So it all got stuck together as the golden gram girl. So that's that. me. So I am online, um, Instagram at the golden gram girl, Facebook, the golden gram girl, and my website, www.thegoldengramgirl.com. And so, yeah, as far as my coaching goes, I would say that I really want to cover all of the pillars, the most important for me being mindset. So the language that we use. So I think a lot of coaches will jump in sort of the action plan. And I feel like those actions won't stick unless the underlying mindset changes. So I start with sort of mindset and accountability through the work that I'm doing with neuro-linguistic programming. So that's the big word nerd in me. Neuro being the brain, linguistic being the language, and then programming. So we've talked about stories and narratives and are they serving you? And that's so much of what neuro-linguistic programming is about. So I am working on a certification and some of the work that I've referenced has come from my mentor for that. Her name is Mirka. So I don't want to take credit for that myself personally, but it's definitely work that I'm doing with my clients. Uh, the next piece then would be the nutrition. And again, the stories you're telling yourself about nutrition. And really, I like to work with my clients to say, let's try something for a week or two. And let's just honestly assess, is it working for you? Is there an approach that you've heard about that you're interested in that you think will be a good fit? And I'm happy to work with my clients uh, to give them support and troubleshooting with that. And then we can just objectively assess, or well, not just objectively, objectively and subjectively say, is this working for you? And, you know, kind of talking through some of the science, because obviously I love the science behind it. Uh, next piece, obviously the workouts. So I am a certified personal training specialist. So the workouts I design for people to do are all available through my app. And it would just break down what their goals are, how often can they get to the gym, uh, what type of equipment do they have available? Is it a full gym setup? Are they at home? Do they just have body weight? Are they traveling? How much time do they have? Because uh, some of my clients, you know, are, are, you know, they work full time and they have kids. And they're like, I am not physically leaving my house to work out. And it's like, okay, cool. Do you have an ottoman in your house? Yes or no? Do you have a set of stairs in your house? Yet or no? And kind of designing workouts around that. And then the final piece, recovery. Because again, like we get into these all or nothing phases with our food. I think there's also the risk of getting into these all or nothing phases with the workouts. And I mean, you've trained for super long runs before, and you know the importance of having some days off because that's where your body is actually rebuilding itself and getting stronger. You're not getting stronger during the workout. You're getting stronger when your body recovers from the workout. So just making sure that people are getting that rest and the mental breaks too. So all of that stuff kind of gets bundled up into my programs. That's wonderful. Just that customization because there, you can totally, and we talked about this, you can get a meal plan online. You can get a workout plan online. Like they're everywhere, but like yeah, for free, you can right. get a 12 week plan from bodybuilding.com for free. But the customization, and I think especially the, um, the storytelling, like that is huge. Um, so I love, I love the work that you do with your clients. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, great. And so definitely, I hope that if anyone is interested, I don't know if you have the ability to put in the show notes or in the comments or whatever, if someone does want to jump on a call with me, they can just grab a spot in my calendar. Or if they're interested in the kind of the more formal application to work with me, uh, we could probably link that up as well. Yeah, wonderful. I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Fantastic. Cool. Great. Well, thank you again for being on the show today, Lauren. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Jacqueline. It's okay. been a real fun time. <laughs> yeah. Take care. Thanks. Bye.